0: Blot the hen met the cockroach and
1: they fell in love.
2: Now, being a tortoise, of course, she was going very slow.
1: They came home with a plan for a spud gun. We love- it's time for the apple
3: seed, filled with stories for you and your family. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. I'm Sam Payne, your host. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you. And today, we're going to bring you at least one story about hard work. You know, a hard day's work can be pretty satisfying, almost as satisfying as a day off after a lot of hard days' work. But to introduce us to the first story that we're going to hear today, I'm pleased to be joined in the studio by one of our assistant producers, Trent Horton. Trent, it's a pleasure to have you with hey, me. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, this story has has a kind of an interesting title. Tell, tell us what we're going to hear. Yeah, it's called Pool and Blat. Yeah, what what the
4: heck? <laughs> you probably don't know what that means, but uh, it's actually yeah. the the... The characters in the story are yeah. named Poole and Blatt. Okay. okay. And uh, you might be surprised to find out that uh, Pool is a chicken and Blatt is a cockroach and they are in love. <laughs> so kind I, of a unique. <laughs> I love it already. <laughs> a right? unique relationship for sure. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they get married and as many young couples um, probably have to do, they have to work, Yeah. you know, because you get married, you're poor. Um. But on the first day, pool, the chicken wakes up, and go and and is ready to go out into the fields and and do her job. But blat wakes up sick or so he tells his his chicken wife. Uh-huh. And I don't know about you, Sam, but I remember um, a few times, maybe more than a few times as a kid, you know, when dinner was about done and we was time to clean up, all of a sudden I had to go to the bathroom real bad. <laughs> And I had to get out of there you you escaped from the kitchen, absolutely and <laughs> and I it, you know, Blatt, I think is doing the same thing, but he doesn't just do it once he's he begins to do it more than once, uh day after day, and I and Pool begins to be a little suspicious and i I gotta say already there are gonna be some challenges
3: to overcome in a marriage between a chicken and a cockroach. Oh yeah, I'm telling you. But, uh, but this kind of stuff, well, I, I, I imagine that's the story, right? Yeah, yep. Well, Priscilla Howe is the storyteller, and the story is Pool and Blat, a love story between a chicken and a cockroach, and we're happy to bring it to you on The Appleseed.
0: Pool and Blatt. Now, pool doesn't mean swimming pool in this story, because this is a story from Louisiana where people sometimes speak French. And the word pool means chicken. And the word blot, blot, that's a weird kind of word. That, that means cockroach. That little kind of bug. Chicken and cockroach, pool and blot. One day pool met blot, the hen met the cockroach, and they fell in love. They decided to get married. They had a great big wedding. Everybody came to the wedding. And you know something about Blat, about the roach? He played the drums. He played the drums like this. Bum, 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 bum. Can you try that with me? bum, 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 bum. They had a great big fun time. The wedding lasted for three days and three nights, and then all the guests went home. And Poole and Blat went to sleep. Arr, 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 the rooster three doors down crowed. Poole jumped out of bed. Bop, 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 bop. Come on, Blat, come on, come on, come on. It's a great day to be alive. Come on, let's go work in the fields. Come on, come on, come on. And Blat said, oh, oh, Pool, honey bunny, sweetie pie. I I don't think I could work in the fields today. I I have kind of a stomachache. You're sick, my little love bug. (laughs) You you stay home. When I come home, I'll make you my special soup. She picked up her rake. She picked up her hoe. She went out to work in the fields. As soon as she was gone, blood jumped out of bed. He ran next door. He ran to the neighbors. He said, come on, call everybody. We're gonna have a party. Well, roaches came over the window. So they came in the back door. They came in the front door. They came in the radiator and they had food. What do you think they had to eat? If you raise your hands, that's the best way to answer. They had chips. They did. They had Coke to drink way in the back. They had pizza. They had pizza. They had watermelon and ice cream. And they had their musical instruments. Some of them brought their guitars, some of them brought their flutes, one of them brought the trombone. And you know blot, the roach, he played the drums. Ba 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 ba. They had a great big fun time. They ate, they drank that coke, they danced, and at the end of the day, Blatt said, Oh, we have to clean up. Pool is coming home. So they took all of the Coke bottles and put them in the trash. All the watermelon rinds and the pizza bones, that is the pizza crusts, and the, uh, what else did they have? Watermelon Watermelon rinds and the ice cream boxes and the hot dog wrap, all the wrappers, they put that all in the trash. They packed up their musical instruments. Some went out the back door, some went out the front door, some went over the radiator. They were gone. And there... Was Blot in bed oh, oh, oh. when Poole came home? You're still sick. Here's my special soup. Eat that now. And they went to sleep. Oh, 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 oh. The rooster three doors down crowed. Pool jumped out of bed. Come on, Blot. Come on, come on, come on. It's a great day to be alive. Come on, let's go work in the fields. Oh, oh pool, um, lovey-dovey. I, I don't, I don't think I could work in the fields today. I, I have kind of a headache. <laughs> You're still sick? All right, you stay home. When I come home, I'll make you my special soup. She picked up a rake, she picked up a hoe, she went out to work in the fields. As soon as she was gone. Lut jumped out of bed. He ran next door. He went to the neighbors. He said, come on, call everybody. We're going to have a party. So roaches came over the windowsill. They came in the back door. They came in the front door. They came in the radiator. And they had food. What did they have this time? Cookies and popcorn. You're right. And cake and way in the back. Cotton candy. And what did they have to drink? Lemonade. lemonade. And they brought their musical instruments. Some of them brought their guitars. Some of them brought their flutes. Some of them brought the trombone. And you know, Blatt, he played the drums. Bow, 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 five, they had a great big fun time. They ate. They drank that lemonade. They danced. And at the end of the day, Lot said, oh, pool is coming home. We've got to clean up. So they took all of the popcorn wrappers and all of the candy wrappers and all of the cotton candy sticks that that comes on and all of the lemonade bottles and all the other trash, put it in the trash can. They packed up their musical instruments. Some went out the back door, some went out the front door, some went over the radiator, some went over the windowsill. They were gone. And there was Blot in bed
1: uh-huh, uh-huh,
0: uh-huh. when Poole came home. You're still sick? All right, here's my special soup. Eat that now. And they went to sleep. Arr, arr, the rooster three doors down crowed. Poole jumped out of bed. Come on, Roger, come on, come on, come on, Blot. Let's go work in the fields. Come on, come on, come on. Let's go work in the fields, Blot. Blot said, oh... Cool, honey pie. My, my leg hurts. My, my third leg down on this side really hurts. I don't think I could possibly work in the fields today. <laughs> You're still sick? All right, you stay home. When I come home, maybe I'll make you my special soup. She picked up her rake. She picked up her hoe. She went out to work in the fields. As soon as she was gone, you know what happened. Blood jumped out of bed. He ran next door. He went to the neighbors. He said, Come on, call everybody. We're gonna have a party. So roaches came over the windowsill. They came in the back door. They came in the front door. They came in the radiator. And what did they have this time to eat? Chicken. They had chicken to eat. What else? Corn dogs. Cake. And cheese. And what did they have to drink? water to drink and they brought their musical instruments some of them brought their guitars some of them brought their flutes one of them brought the trombone and you know blot he played the drums they had a great big fun time they ate they drank that water they danced and at the end of the day blot said oh we've got to clean up pool is coming home so they took all of those water bottles and put them in the trash and all of the cake boxes and put, put them in the trash. All of the corn dog wrappers and put them in the trash. All of those that other stuff, put, them, put it in the trash can. They packed up their musical instruments. Someone out the back door. Someone out the front door. Someone out the radiator. They were gone. And there was Blot in bed. <laughs> when Pool came home. You're still sick? All right, here's my special soup. Eat that now and they went to sleep the rooster three doors down crowed pool jumped out of bed come on come on come on come on it's a great day to be alive come on let's go work in the fields Uh, pool honey i would really like to work in the fields today really i would like to but i just i i don't i my back went out it went out in the night. I don't I don't think I could possibly work in the fields today. Come on. You're still sick, all right. You stay home, but when I come home, I'm not making you my special soup. She picked up her rake, she picked up her hoe, and she went out to work in the fields. But this time, she walked past the trash can. She saw flies buzzing around the trash can. She went over and looked inside, and she saw... Lemonade bottles, corn dog wrappers, chicken bones, candy wrappers, popcorn papers, cotton candy sticks. She saw all that trash, pizza bones. She said, bop, 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 bop. She decided to step back and hide. That's what she did. She hid. And she watched. She saw blood jump out of bed. She saw him run next door and she heard him say, come on, call everybody. We're going to have a party. She watched and she saw roaches come over the windowsill. They came in the back door. They came in the front door. They came in the radiator and they had food. They had sandwiches and watermelon and spaghetti with sauce. And to drink root beer. And they had their musical instruments. Some of them had their guitars. Some of them had their flutes. One of them had the trombone. And Blot began to play the drums. They were having a great big fun time when pool ran in. She started to peck at those roaches. But you know, roaches are very fast. They ran. Some of them ran out the back door. Some ran out the front door. Some ran over the windowsill and some ran out the radiator. The last one to run was Poole's own husband, Blatt. She chased him, but she never got him. To this day, if you go to a place where there's there's a chicken yard and you see a chicken and that chicken sees a roach, you know that that chicken will try to peck at that roach. And now you know why.
3: Bull and Blat. A uh, story that gives the answer to a question I didn't even know I had. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I gotta tell you, Trent, I, I've been listening to this story not only with you, but also with Trent Horton, one of our assistant producers, and uh, I, I love to hear those little kids reacting. To oh, them. for sure. It's I, super fun. It's such a, a, a great part of the experience, you know. Storytelling is such a communal activity, and when you feel like you can be invited into the room like that, it's great. It's great to hear a storyteller telling before someone. Such an enthusiastic and delightful audience is that.
4: (laughs) So what do you love about this story, Trent? You know, it just kind of, it makes me kind of laugh because it's such an unexpected story. Yeah. You know, like you said, you get an answer to a question you didn't know you had because, you know, it's not because chickens like to eat cockroaches or insects or anything. It's because (laughs) chickens are still trying to avenge their (laughs) ancestor pool, right? Right. (laughs)
3: Well, it's such a pleasure to hear that story. Priscilla Howe, again, was the storyteller. And the story was Pool and Blatt, that love story between a chicken and a cockroach. And there's a lot more coming up on The Appleseed.
0: You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne.
3: It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed. If you're just joining us a moment ago, we heard the story Pool and Blatt, a story told for you by Priscilla Howe, a story about a chicken and a cockroach that fall in love. There's a lot more coming up. You're going to hear from Ishu Bumpus, a story called Lion on the Path that you're not going to want to miss. But first, because we know that the sharing of memories can sometimes be the spark that ignites a story for you that you can share with the people that you love. Of, here's a memory of mine, a memory of junior high school band. It's today's entry in the Radio Family Journal.
4: The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne, a tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it, on the appleseed.
3: I remember walking into the classroom for the very first day of junior high band. I played the clarinet. That's not what I had intended when I had first gone to the summer band sign-up and instrument petting zoo that's what they called the event where you go and take a look at all the different band instruments and see which one you might like to play the petting zoo and at that event i was convinced that i was going to be a trumpet player but that was apparently what every junior high boy who walked through the doors of the petting zoo thought and mr cameron the band teacher had been working all day to talk kids out of playing the trumpet and into playing something else after all everybody couldn't play the trumpet It worked with me. I was going to play the clarinet, and my grandpa, who was a trumpet player, incidentally, had a clarinet. Somebody had left it in his band room. He was a band teacher in faraway California, and that clarinet became mine. My grandpa came to visit us on my birthday, and he gave me that clarinet. It is still the clarinet that I own. In any case, I remember the first day of actual band class, the whole half row of clarinet players, our open clarinet cases smelling of cork grease, soaking our reeds, sizing each other up, looking each other over. We were going to be friends, more or less. That's what the future held for us, but we didn't know it then. Nor did we know that we would also be such fierce competitors with one another, each of us, every month, competing in what we called shakedowns for the coveted first chair position. We were pretty encouraging of each other, but we were also really, really nervous on shakedown day. None of us wanted to be moved down the line. We all wanted to be the best in the section, so the shakedowns could get pretty cutthroat. Mr. Cameron would sit stonily at his podium and listen to each of us play individually with the whole rest of the band listening too. and then he would grimly list off for us the order in which we'd sit for the next month. Well, the biggest competition in the clarinet section would have been Dave Sobey. I say would have been because I spent all of seventh grade glad that it was only Jennifer Blackhurst and Angela Adams and Kara Bates to compete against. David Sobey, as it turned out, had banned in the other period and he'd have killed me in those shakedowns every time and I knew it. Neither David Sobey nor I, though, was so competitive about playing the clarinet that we didn't become friends. Dave invited me over to his house after school one day. It was kind of a rite of passage, if you want to know. Before junior high school, in elementary school, your friends were all right in your neighborhood. You could walk to their houses, most of them. Junior high, though, brought kids together from three different towns. You began to make friends with people who lived far away from you. Dave lived about seven miles from my house, a foreign country. But after school, sometimes I'd go over to his place and sometimes we'd ride bikes and sometimes we'd make sandwiches and sometimes we'd watch television. But what we did as often as anything else, if you can believe it, was practice the clarinet together. Dave's mom would play the piano to accompany us, and we'd pull out the church hymnal, and Dave would play the soprano part, and I'd play the alto part. And this required some doing on the part of Dave's mom. The clarinet is a B-flat instrument, after all, and the piano is a C instrument, so while we were reading the notes as they were written in the hymnal, Dave's mom was transposing the piano part, so it didn't make sense with what we were playing on the clarinet. We weren't bad. We got especially good at dear to the heart of the shepherd. Dear to the heart of the shepherd. Dear are the sheep of his fold. Dear is the love that he gives them. Dearer than silver or gold. I could just kill that alto part. And well, it wasn't long before Dave's mom was scheduling us as a duo to perform during services at local churches. I guess it was a trio, really, because she'd accompany us. And we'd walk into the meeting with our hair combed and our ties straight, and we'd play that hymn Tune, and the heads of the church ladies would bob up and down, and everyone would smile, and then we'd leave after the meeting, rock stars. Well, later on, the Sobies would give me a ride every Wednesday to the big high school a couple of towns over where Dave and I played in the All Valley Youth Symphony Orchestra. When I first met Dave Sobey, I was sure he was going to be the competition, even though he played band in the other period, and he was, to some degree. He was a great player. And his playing pushed me to be a better player and to take the study of a musical instrument more seriously than I otherwise would have. And maybe the competition had something to do with that. But the friendship had much more to do with it. It was, for me, a lot more motivating to have an ally. That's what Dave was. And I hope that's what I was for him, too.
4: Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne, a tiny little story for you and your family, right when you need it, on the Appleseed.
3: Thanks for joining me for that entry in the Radio Family Journal, the story of that old clarinet that still sits in my closet and comes out from time to time when one kid or another needs to play it, or when I need to play it myself, which I do from time to time, if you can believe it. There's a lot coming up. You're going to hear from issue Bumpus with a story called Lion on the Path, which you'll enjoy a lot. But first, how about a conversation with a friend? Great stories come into our lives in so many ways, through the films that we see, the books that we treasure, the songs that we remember, the meals that we share. And talking about some of the ways in which great stories get into our lives is something that we love to do with friends here on the Appleseed. And I'm so pleased to be joined by Bruce Walker, a great storyteller. You've heard his work on the Appleseed before. And Bruce, it's such a pleasure to have you with me.
5: Oh, Sam, it's good to be here today.
3: It's always a good day for a story. It sure is. You know, I think about some of the artifacts that so richly bring to me memories of some of the people that I love. And there's almost no artifact that I like better for that purpose than snuggling down under a quilt made by somebody that I loved.
5: Oh, let me tell you, when when you have a loved one that has actually, with their very hands, made something for you, and then that loved one has passed on, that article, that quilt is what we're talking about, becomes of such value that if my house burned down, I wouldn't run and get my 70 inch screen TV. I wouldn't (laughs) run and and get my car out of the garage. I'd be gathering up quilts and pictures and all those things because those are what trigger the strong emotional memories and very important
3: to us. Yeah, yeah. And you've uh, you you know you 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 mentioned if your house burned up, you'd be running around grabbing quilts. You've got a number of them because your your young life and your heritage was full of those. You were surrounded by quilts. Well, the thing
5: of it is, here in the foothills of the Appalachians, I, in fact, I'm looking out right now on, uh, from Chapman Mountain down into the Tennessee Valley below me, and uh, the thing that pulls families together has been the ceremonial, I would call it, passing on of things that are important. When my, grand, when, when my mother got to a certain age, she called all of us seven children in, and she began parceling out the quilts. <laughs> And so I wound up with one from my great grandmother. In fact, uh, quilts, why they are important is what made those quilts come into existence. There's double wedding rings. There is redemption quilts. There's all different names for quilts. And that's because they served a purpose. As a small child in a little cabin up here on the mountain, I remember on Tuesday mornings, once a month, my mother would move back furniture from the walls and lower from the ceiling a quilting rack. It had a little three-inch nails sticking up out of it, and all the ladies of the community would come in, and I would play spinning a top on the floor, run a little truck back and forth while they quilted. It it was really a a canon of feminine faith. The only people allowed there were these women. And while they stitched, they also talked. And while they talked, they solved problems. And the older ones would look down the pathway and tell the younger ones, don't be worried. Don't be fearful. Uh, We went through that
3: and we came out just fine on the other side. (laughs) You know, as you mentioned, those quilts, uh, there's so much to unpack when you're talking about not only the artifact itself, but the way that it can Came into being as you say right just right. looking at the quilts you can see the stories in them right oh. a, 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 the, the things that are rendered there in the actual quilts yeah. as you say there's a purpose behind each one.
5: Oh, I, I have one we call it the redemption quilt and it's got a a shirt in it bits of a shirt put across it my yeah. great great uncle uh, well no my great uncle uh, he had lost his faith I mean, if things have been rough and bad yeah. and he did not attend church, did not go to any functions, wouldn't even go to a funeral. He, when he drove up in the old pickup truck, my, my aunt would get out and go to the funeral and he'd sit out in the truck and wait. Mm. Well, he was 55 years of age and a drought, which I'm sure y'all are familiar with those right now,
2: (laughs) Uh,
5: a drought came into our valley, and their their crops were failing on everybody's farm, just about it, and the banker that had loaned the crop money, the banker said, listen, if you can't pay it back, we're going to have to uh, foreclose on your farm. Well, my My great uncle got down on his knees in the kitchen and and prayed and said, Lord, I know you and I hadn't been on much talking terms, Mm. but if you'll see fit to let it rain, he said, I promise I'll go back to church and I'll serve you faithfully. And sure enough, rains came and crops grew. And not only did it produce enough crop to pay off the mortgage, it gave them overabundance into the next year. And my great uncle, true to his word, went to church And why that shirt's in there, the first thing he did, he went to the preacher up front that Sunday morning and said, I want to be baptized. (laughs) And so that shirt that he wore to the baptismal is in that quilt.
3: Wow. Wow.
5: (laughs) (laughs) And and, and he
3: died uh, not missing a Sunday in church, as far as I know. Sometimes... We look for and fail to find opportunities to share some of the most important stories from our families. With it. sometimes it's hard to to look somebody in the face and say, "Well, I want to tell you an important story from our family." You know, yeah. But it's, it's a little easier when you can point to a quilt and say, "I want to tell you the story of that quilt." It exactly. opens the door, doesn't it? It does. Well, see, that's why family stories are so
5: important is because with a family story, uh, people say, oh, nothing interesting ever happened in our family. And I begin to look for what I call thresholds. Yeah. And I say, uh, what about when you got married? What was that day like? What about your first kiss of your wife? Uh, where did that happen and what did you feel? And before long a light turns on inside of somebody and they realize, oh, what we're talking about is not some monumental event that changed the community or the world, but
3: what is an, an, a monumental event that changed my life <laughs> you know as you talk about this I, I when I go home from work uh-huh. today right, I, find my wife and my daughter sitting on a sofa sewing together. I know that's (laughs) what I'm going to find. And and that activity has opened up so rich an avenue for conversation between them. I think about the quilting that you're talking about engaged in by the women of your community. And what a valuable thing that is. I'll tell you, Bruce Walker is full of stories like this at his website. We invite you to visit him at brucestoryteller.com. Bruce, it's been such a great pleasure to have you with me. Thank you.
5: Oh, great to be here. Thank you, Sam. Enjoy your show. We listen to it on the Sirius Radio, and it's great.
3: conversation about quilts with Bruce Walker. It's always a pleasure to talk with Bruce, and we'll be sure to have him back. There's a lot more coming up on The Appleseed. Stick around for stories from Ishu Bumpus, a story called Lion on the Path, and from Tim Lowry, How the Camel Got His Hump, a story written by Rudyard Kipling. You'll enjoy both of those tales, and they're coming up in just a moment. I'm Sam Payne.
0: You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment.
6: Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne.
3: It's great to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed. Up next, we've got a story called Lion on the Path, a story from Ishu Bumpus. It's a story that involves a choice, two paths, one long and hard, the other short and dangerous. What's the danger in the easy path? Well, there's a lion camped along the road waiting for victims to come near. Here's Ishu Bumpus with Lion on the Path here on The Appleseed.
2: All around the world there are many stories of the hare and the tortoise. Especially that story about the race between the hare and tortoise. It seems every culture has some version of that story. But in Zimbabwe, there are many hare and tortoise stories, not just that one. You see, because they're both tricksters and they love to play tricks on each other. But this story from Zimbabwe tells how the hare and tortoise finally became friends after all. You see, one day, Mrs. Tortoise decided she wanted to go and visit her mother. She hadn't seen her mom in a while, and it was kind of a long walk to her mother's village, but she wanted to go and spend a few days. When she told Mr. Tortoise her idea, he said, there's something you must know. You see, on the way to your mother's village, you'll come to a fork in the road, and then you have a choice between a nice smooth path and the rocky path. But on that smooth path, there's a lazy lion just waiting for someone to come along for him to eat up. And so you're going to have to take the rocky path. It may take you longer to get there, but it'll be much safer. So... Mrs. Tortoise said she would certainly consider that when the time came. And she packed a few things and set off on her journey. Now, being a tortoise, of course, she was going very slow. So, by the time she reached that fork in the road, she was already kind of tired, and it had taken a long time already. She was worried that if she took that rocky path, it would be dark by the time she even reached her mother's village and who knows the lion wouldn't just sit there all day long certainly he must have other things to do so she decided she would take a chance and see about that smooth path well she hadn't walked very far when she regretted that decision. Sure enough, there was the lion sitting there. And before she got a chance to turn around and change her mind, the lion spotted her. Now she knew if she started to try to run, the lion would chase her and pretty quickly catch her. But as long as she didn't move, the lion wouldn't move either. they just sit there staring at each other, each waiting for the other to make a move. So what could she do? Well, just at that moment, she noticed something. Mr. Hare was coming down the road from the other direction. Mr. Hare was such a good musician that he was often invited to play music in villages all around and he must have been on his way back from one such village. He saw the lion, and he saw Mrs. Tortoise, and he knew right away what was happening, and he knew that there was something he could do. Mr. Hare took out his embira, and he started to play. When Hare started playing, the lion could not resist. He started to dance. Mr. Hare looked at Mrs. Tortoise and said, now is your chance, you'd better go home. And so she turned, and as quickly as she could, she rushed back home. When she got home, she told Mr. Tortoise what happened. Mr. Tortoise right away realized poor Mr. Hare was in trouble. "'because as soon as he stopped playing, "'he would be the meal for the lion "'who had now had plenty of time to work up an appetite. "'I'd better go help him,' Mr. Tortoise said, "'and he rushed out there as fast as he could. "'Sure enough, as he came closer, "'he could hear the music. "'There was the lion dancing.' And there was poor Mr. Hare getting tireder and tireder. Tortoise went behind the hare and started to dig a hole. When he dug for a little ways, he climbed out of the hole and said, pass me the m'bira. And he started to play. the hare dug the hole deeper. Then the hare came out and took over the embira for a while. Finally, the hole was deep enough. The two of them dropped the embira and jumped into that hole. Finally, Lion could stop dancing. He walked over to the edge of the hole and he looked down. There were the hare and the tortoise, just out of reach. Lion was too hungry to wait any longer. He couldn't be lazy anymore. He had to go and hunt. When he was gone, the hare and tortoise climbed out of that hole, picked up their embitter, and walked home. And ever since that day, the hare and the tortoise have been very good friends. And so, their favorite thing to do is bring their whole families together, and play their mbiras. They dance and dance to their heart's <laughs> delight, <device. laughs>
3: Lion on the Path, a story shared for us by Ishu Bumpus from a collection of stories called Dancing Granny and Other Tales to Boogie To. (laughs) Up next, we've got a story from the great South Carolina storyteller Tim Lowry, a story called How the Camel Got His Hump. It's one of the Just So stories written by Rudyard Kipling. Here's Tim's version. You're going to enjoy it. Happy to bring it to you here on The Appleseed.
7: (laughs) Beginning of time, when the animals first started to work for man, there were chiefly three animals that did the work. There was a dog, and there was a horse, and there was an ox. Now, in addition to those three, there was another animal. It was a camel. He lived in the middle of the howling desert, for he was a howler himself and he was most excruciatingly idle. That means he never did any work. He just stood there all day, looking at his reflection in a pool of water, chewing on a milkweed or a cactus, and if anyone spoke to him, all he would say was, HUM! Only, HUM! Just, HUM! And nothing else. On Monday, the very first day of the world, the man called the dog to fetch and carry for him. The dog came running into the desert and said, camel, oh, camel, come and fetch and carry like the rest of us. But the camel simply said, hum. So the dog went away and told the man. On Tuesday, at the beginning of the world, the second day of work, the man called the horse to trot for him. The horse came trotting into the desert and said, Camel, oh camel, come out of this desert and trot like the rest of us. But the camel simply said, So the horse went away and told the man. On the third day of the world, Wednesday of the first work week, the man called the ox to pull his plow. The ox came plodding into the desert and said, Camel, oh camel, come and plow like the rest of us. But the camel simply said, So the ox went away and told the man. Now after those first three days of work, the man asked the animals how the work was going, and they all began to complain. The dog said, and the horse said, and the ox said, They were all saying the same thing, really. They were complaining about that hump thing in the middle of the desert that wouldn't do any work. Oh, said the man, that is the camel. He's never yet learned how to behave, and I can't do a thing with him. If he won't do any work, that means that there's going to be more for the three of you. And that made the three very angry. So they sat down to have a punjab and a palaver and a powwow. Those are all very important meetings. And while they were having their important meetings, the magic djinn came rolling along in his great dust cloak. That's the way magic jins always travel, by dust cloak. He settled himself down next to the three. And he said, three, oh three! three, how is the work progressing? And they all told him about the camel in the middle of the howling desert. Ah, that's my camel for all the gold in Arabia, said the djinn. I asked the camel to help me plow, said the ox, and all he would say was, humph. Mm said the jinn.
3: "'I
7: asked the camel to help me trot,' said the horse, "'and all he would say was, hm. "'Ah,' said the jinn. "'And I asked the camel to help me fetch and carry,' Rawr, said the dog, "'and all he would say was, hm. "'Wait right here,' said the magic jinn. "'I'll humph him if you'll kindly wait a minute.' "'He rolled himself up into his dust cloak "'and took a bearing across the howling desert "'because that's where the camel lived. "'He was a howler himself. "'And he found him there in the middle of the desert "'standing next to a pool of water, "'admiring his reflection, "'chewing on a milkweed most excruciatingly idle. "'The magic djinn settled down next to the camel, "'and he said, "'Camel, the other animals tell me "'that you will not help with the work.' What do you have to say for yourself? And the camel simply said, "Hum." I wouldn't say that if I were you, said the jinn. And he started thinking a great magic. While he was thinking his great magic, he kept asking questions of the camel. On Monday, the dog asked you to fetch and carry with him. How do you respond? And the camel said, "Hum." Don't say that, said the djinn, and he went right on thinking his great magic. On Tuesday, the horse asked you to trot with him. What do you have to say for yourself? And the camel simply said, I'm warning you, you might say that once too often. Then the ox asked you to plow with him. How do you respond to his request, said the jinn, And the camel again said, hum. All right, I've run out of patience, said the jinn, And all of a sudden, out of the magic that he was thinking, came a huge lolloping humph. It flew up on a cloud of smoke and landed right on the camel's back, which in those days was very smooth and beautiful, if I do say so myself. Now I want you to go and work with the three, said the Jinn. But how can I with this big hump thing on my back? That's made a purpose. You can work for three days and live off the fat in your humph. You brought it upon yourself by saying humph once too often. Now, camel, humph yourself and he did hump and all. He ran to work with the three. You can still see the camel to this very day. He's usually running, trying to catch up with the three days of work he missed at the beginning of the world, and he still has that hump thing on his back. But we call it a hump, not to hurt his feelings. And that
3: is how the camel got his hump. Tim Lowry with How the Camel Got His Hump, a story written by Rudyard Kipling, one of his Just So stories, written for his daughter, who always demanded that the stories be told just so. That's how they get their name. We've heard a story about a lion. We've heard a story about a camel. What other animals should we include? How about a fish? This is a story from Texas storyteller Donna Ingham called Fishing for the Big One. Happy to bring it to you on The Appleseed.
1: We have this neighbor, Chuck, who loves to fish, and he's become obsessed with catching this big old bass that hangs out in our cove, but that fish is wily, that fish is wary, that fish is elusive, he won't rise to anybody's bait, not your rattle traps, your spinners, your spoons, or your jigs, not your bugs, your plugs, your flies, or your poppers, not your cut bait, your crank bait, your buzz bait, your stink bait, or even your just plain worms. None of that works. Then along comes our boy, C.Y. You may remember him. He's the one who likes to take things apart and put them back together again. But he likes to design and build things from scratch, too, especially weapons of minimum destruction. He started young, C.Y. did, with variations on the slingshot, the pea shooter, and the rubber band gun. But of late... He's moved right on up into the heavy artillery. He and his sweet young thing of a wife, Stephanie Michelle, made another trip to Louisiana here a while back to visit the Toops brothers, and they came home with a plan for a spud gun. Now, we're not talking about your puny little plastic pistol that pops pea-sized potato pellets a few feet by means of air pressure, no! No! We're talking a cannon-sized, high-powered missile-launching machine capable of propelling a potato projectile into the realms of glory. At first glance, the spud gun looks a little bit like a plumbing project gone awry. The barrel of the spud gun is a length of heavy-gauge 2-inch PVC pipe connected at the breech with a series of reducers or enlargers to the combustion chamber, which is, in fact, no more, no less than your common, ordinary clean-out trap standard in any household plumbing system. There is a red button on the top of the combustion chamber. That, my friends, is the trigger attached to an igniter from a butane grill. Here's how the spud gun works. The cutting edge of the muzzle has been filed down to a fine bevel, suitable for cutting just the right size and shape of potato missile morsel that is then rammed home with a length of hoe handle. A full eight seconds worth of aquanet is sprayed into the combustion chamber and sealed with the screw-in cap. A push of the plunger produces the spark that ignites the hairspray that creates an explosion that propels the potato forward through and out the barrel of the gun. The actual firing makes a pretty loud pop. While testing the contraption on our missile range at the water's edge of our cove, we were joined by our neighbors from both sides who had heard the pops. On the one hand, we had Chuck the ambitious bass fisherman, on the other, Bob, who stays pretty well studied up on the property owners' association restrictive codes in our subdivision. "'Are you shooting, dove?' Bob asked. I figured that was a trick question, since there's a great big sign at the entrance to our subdivision that says, "'No Hunting.'" So I said, "'No, Bob, we're not hunting.'" We're, uh, fishing. And I kid you not. As if on cue, that monster bass, that trophy fish of Chuck's dreams, rose to the surface and took the last potato fired into the water as if he were acquiring a taste for Idaho russets. That gave C.Y. an idea. The boy is full of them. He went up to the storage shed and grabbed the biggest rod and reel he could find— strapped the rig onto the side of the spud gun with an artful arrangement of bungee cords, cut another muzzle-sized chunk of potato, carefully embedded a humane, barbless hook into the starchy bait, rammed it home with the hoe handle, released the reel, sprayed, locked, and fired. The trajectory was perfect. The azimuth and elevation carefully calculated, and we all tracked the potato bait as it arced through the air, trailing the 25-pound test triple-braided lightweight fishing line behind, the unwinding reel fairly whizzing. The potato landed precisely over the old bass's favorite hiding place on the far side of the cove, and the old lunker took it, hook, line, and spud. CY quickly unbungied the rod and reel and handed it over to Chuck. Bring him in, neighbor, he said. He's all yours. The bass put up quite a fight, but Chuck was up to the task, and sure enough reeled him in, as Bob is our witness. It was a fine, fine moment. Of course, Chuck turned the fish over to the Texas Parks and Wildlife Share Lunker program in exchange for a genuine fiberglass replica to hang on his wall and a lifetime Texas fishing license, knowing that the bass will live and will ultimately be returned to the lake along with his progeny to be even more wily and more wary and more elusive than before. But now, Chuck knows what he's going to do. First... He'll buy a sack of Idaho russets. And then, hey, see why, he said, I'll be needing a set of those plans, because I have got to have me a spud gun.
3: Fishing for the Big One by the Texas tall tale teller Donna Ingham. A pleasure to feature Donna's work here on the show. And we're going to wrap up today after a story about a fish and a story about a camel and a story about a lion with a story about a couple of mice, a familiar old tale about a city mouse and a country mouse told for you by Jim Weiss here
6: on The Appleseed. Once there were two mouse cousins, a city mouse and a country mouse, and the city mouse came out to the countryside to visit. Why, this farmyard is quite, it's quite, well, it's quite dirty, actually, said the city mouse. Where I live, one would not even care to live in a place like this, and and these crusts and these little bit of apple parings that you eat. Why, in the city we would turn our noses up at such such awful food. I can't imagine why you stay here, cousin. And the country mouse looked around his farm and he said, well, gee, I, I never really thought of it that way, cousin. Is it really that much better in the city? I tell you, we feast every night, and the most Fabulous food, thrown out by all the very finest restaurants in town. And we live in warm places in the walls of beautiful homes. It is really living in the lap of luxury. You must try it. Well, gee, maybe maybe I'll come back with you and, and try it if it's as good as all that. And so they journeyed back to the distant city. And at first... The country mouse found it to be everything that his city cousin had bragged about. He loved the food, and it was nice sleeping in a warm place with thick rugs on the floor. But one day, as he was in a fancy restaurant, a man in a tall white hat and a white apron came rushing at him with a broom, yelling, Get out of my kitchen, mouse! Get out! Scat, scat, scat! And the mouse had to run away. And not long after that, when he went into a fancy home to get some scraps of food, suddenly a woman screamed, Ah! A mouse! Get him, cat! And a big, black, kitchen cat came jumping at the mouse. Eww! And the terrified little fellow rushed here and rushed there, around chairs, under furniture, and finally, Ah! Oh, ah! Oh, ah! Oh, out the door. Oh. Oh, this is, this is just not worth it. Why, out in the countryside, nothing like this ever happened to me. And so he bid goodbye to his city cousin and went home to the country, for he had learned his lesson. Better to eat a crust of bread in peace than to feast in fear. The City
3: Mouse and the Country Mouse, told for you by Jim Weiss here on The Appleseed. We invite you to visit us at byuradio.org slash Appleseed for more. I'm Sam Payne. Can't wait to be with you again on The Appleseed.
0: Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.